What a day. Big day today. Long day. What have you guys been up to? I had this meeting in Midtown today. It went so well. The guy sent me to this other guy in Soho, but I didn't have a Metro card, so when I told the guy who in Midtown- Who are you? Who am I? You remember Jed, we met him at Ashland's party. Oh, you're not the guy who makes those videos where you act like an imbecile against a badly painted scrim, are you? That is I. Oh, I don't like you. You have this sort of DIY aspect. Charlotte! The lady can speak her mind. It's okay. Are you guys hungry? Not hungry. We just ate a little while ago. You ate recently or? Are you hungry or? I am hungry. Well, then you should get some food. Well, maybe if I had more money in my bank account, I would get some food. You don't have to pay for food. We have so much frozen stuff here, including my dead hamster. Welcome to Film Club. My name is Megan Anderson and I am joined by George Arbenz. Yep, that's me. And Isabel Gander. Welcome back. Welcome back, Isabel. We're so happy that you're back on the podcast. Oh, thanks. I had such a fun time listening to the Adam Sandler episode. And please listen to the episode to the end because there's an incredible song by the gang that I thoroughly enjoyed. Thank you, Isabel. And yes, if you listen to the end of this episode, you might find another musical treat. Okay, in today's episode, we will be discussing the 2010 American independent film Tiny Furniture, written, directed and starring Lena Dunham, who is of course the creator and star of HBO's Girls. So the film follows Aura, a 22-year-old film school graduate who moves back in with her mum, who is played by Lena's real mum, Laurie Simmons, who is a photographer in the film, and her sister, who is played by Lena's real sibling, Cyrus Dunham, who has just finished high school. Aura is directionless and so takes a job as a hostess and tries to develop a relationship with a chef and a cult YouTube star. <laughs> so Isabel chose this one for us this week. Why did you choose this film, Izzy? Um, good question. I think I just have recently been reflecting on Lena Dunham and the kind of impact that she's made on modern storytelling and modern media. And I think often she... Um, doesn't get enough credit because I think often she's maybe judged by the merits of her internet persona or by the problematic things that she said and I don't really want to be touching on that as in this episode I really want to be looking at her more as a director and a writer and um, creative entity um, but yeah I thought you know she is really d divisive you know some people love her some people hate her um, and I thought she would be a cool person to talk about on the pod. And I think I'm a really big Lena Dunham fan. So I thought she, I think she's left a really strong impression on 
modern storytelling. So I thought she would it would be cool to watch her kind of debut film and to see how her yeah, just to look at her career trajectory. But obviously we're just gonna be talking about tiny furniture today. Rambling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I remember Isabel, you showed me tiny furniture. Oh. I remember like in first year film school I had never heard of Lena Dunham and I think it was I feel like maybe girls was just starting up and you were like there's this really amazing young woman or you know like this young awesome kind of powerhouse you know mm-hmm. writer director producer creator actor and yeah, I remember we. Um, I watched Tiny Furniture, I think, yeah, in 2012. Um, yeah, and I'm, yeah, happy to say that watching it recently now, it's, um, it's I just think it's incredible, actually. I think it's really mm. awesome film. What do you think? I agree. Yeah, I think... Yeah, I think she's really inspiring. I have a really... I have such a soft spot for young creatives that are just so daring and brave like I think Lena Dunham is an example and then also PTA who we spoke about and like Xavier Dolan like I just feel really warm and fuzzy when I see young people just pursuing their dreams with so much ambition and there's something so exciting about young new voices in cinema and I think Lena Dunham is like an excellent example of that and she's been very influential like I think she really cracked open a whole new I think she really put mumblecore to like the mainstream so I think when girls came out that spirals all of these other shows to happen as well like I don't think transparent or insecure or broad city all of those shows would have existed if it wasn't for girls that's just my opinion and I think she often doesn't get enough credit for how brilliant she is and how brilliant of a writer she is. And I think, I actually think it's often still like a lot of internalized misogyny because I think she's incredible, but I think she's a chubby, ambitious woman. And I think there is still a lot of stigma around women and someone like owning their body, not being ashamed of her body or who she is and that people get uncomfortable by it. And what I love about her as well, and what I really appreciate about her is that she's in direct conflict with the cool girl trope. You know, I think she's really the voice for that in that she's a neurotic, problematic, complex, complicated girl that's not easy to get along with. And those are the types of women I like seeing on screen. But I think that's why she does attract a lot of hate as well, is that people don't like really still don't like seeing women that way. Yeah. Yeah, and also the fact that she directs and writes and stars in her own film makes her open to a lot of criticism. Yeah. And that people just still have a weirdly have a difficult time uh, like distinguishing between a character on screen and like start like a real human being. So Lena Dunham all of a sudden becomes say Hannah and Girls or Aura when it is a character that she's making and they are I know they're personal films but it it's always a bit weird that people get so worked up about a celebrity who 
I don't know, they don't really know because mm-hmm. the characters she portrays often aren't um, very likeable. Or not necessarily likeable, but they have a lot of uh, negative aspects about them. So, I mean, it's similar to when Breaking Bad came out and people were writing hate, <laughs> hate mail to Skylar and stuff, that it's not Another too different. Example. And it's probably, and that's the misogyny as well, but also that people do have a hard time distinguishing when they see someone on screen. Like, they still feel like that's a real person. And and maybe because girls and tiny furniture and lots of mumblecore build themselves as being very relatable, mm. that people almost feel more attached and more uh, maybe offended or uh, betrayed when the character does something that, you know, they don't relate to or that's kind of exposing some selfish behaviour or... Uh, priv- uh, you know, privileged, you know, uh, like, um, you know, adolescents, which they don't like to, s- to see in themselves. So, totally. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think, George. I think that people sometimes don't realize the, the conch, her, her consciously writing these very privileged, self-absorbed characters and they think that that's Lena Dunham when, you know, I'm sure she can relate to her characters, but um, it's, yeah, it's like she's she's aware that she's writing unlikable characters too. Mm. Mm. That's the point, I think. And that they're, and I think she investigates beyond that. Like, I think she plays with narcissistic, self-absorbed, characters but that there's there's a person behind that as well and that often our psychology we put forward those traits for a reason and I think she plays with that really nicely and that she does show you why a character is self-absorbed or why a character is doing the things that they're doing um and I'm sure it's like I haven't been to New York but I'm sure it's like a pretty good representation of what people are like in New York but you know you do get a strong sense that there's like that her character is obviously very lost but also quite lonely and just aimless and grappling with their identity so you know people are self-absorbed for a reason and often it's not pretty Mm, (laughs) why they're self-absorbed because there's a lot of insecurity but also, I guess, like, building on that, that um, these types of films, which kind of, s- not started, but really were, like, she became a figurehead of this kind of new movement of, of media where it almost became such a stereotype and so tired pretty quickly that I'm in my 20s and I'm lost. It was like every web series, every student film was like, I don't know what job I'm going to get. And she became the figurehead of something that was yeah. maybe started to become really grating quickly and that happens a lot when people start something new a new genre of music or something and then it just becomes something that gets so tired it's almost difficult to then go back to the original one and not see all those all those tropes mm, you know like say take an early slasher film it seems so predictable now but it, like something like Halloween but that started all these films that were, were copied you know not not to the same degree like but like tiny furniture I was worried going into it that I would be rolling my eyes a bit not that it was unoriginal at the time but it had become dated and I found watching that it was still quite charming and there was more to it than 
the typical I'm lost, I don't know what I'm doing and I think it's because she's willing to expose herself like literally but also just make herself a bit unlikable and not so like whimsically out of touch with reality it is like she's responsible for a lot of the shit she gets herself in and it's very also another thing that's great about the film it's just very specific all the situations they're not broad stereotypes whereas something like I don't know that Noah Bombach film which I didn't mind with um, Ben Spencer where wish we would here while we're young that kind of ended up even though it was alright it ended up repeating kind of tired tropes about hipsters that are maybe more broad than the specificity which she, she gets into mm, because she's yes. drawing on her life experience yes so you're talking about like her, her photographer mum who photographs yeah. tiny furniture which is part of her life but it's just so, so specific or more like the chef who, who, you know, or... The or chef with the fedora. Chef with a fedora, talking about the cum omelette video. <laughs> and, like, just very specific... Porn. Yeah, Tentacle not instead porn. of being, like, a chef that likes collecting records. You know, uh, you know the book he, he's reading, like, just specific references that are kind of so spot-on, but then in being so spot-on become more broadly relatable, rather than being a person in New York that, you know, likes to collect records and is, like, into obscure music, you know? Like, um... Alex Kavinsky's character is a YouTube star who does the Nietzschean cowboy, which you can just see someone of that time, yeah. you know, doing. And, and I like that they build these little references into kind of character-defining elements rather than broad. Like, I think she's very specific about what the characters like, you know, what, yeah. they, what the characters do, and that helps, it, helps the realism of it, but also helps the relatability I guess or helps it become more like real people rather than some you know 500 days of summer Smith's character you know like yeah. let's insert indie band here insert book reference it's like she builds from the reference and then builds a character almost like yes well oh I love this because I recently heard her talking on her amazing c-word podcast um about her kind of casting process and she was saying that she casts people who lean into their own experience and who they are and that's how she gets I feel these really awesome authentic performances Mm -hmm. like for example she's obviously cast her own mum in this film and I I just love Laurie Simmons little like her um yeah the cupcakes are you talking about? yeah yeah there's um there's a scene in where she's googling cupcakes and it's just really cute and funny because she's a you know kind of high art photographer in new york and she also just has very beautiful quirky not quirky like just i don't know just really nice like mum moments in this mm. movie that just feels so authentic and same with um the sister character and yeah I just I think Lena Dunham has I feel like she has this amazing way of observing things in people and really noticing people's magic like obviously Jemima Kirk is her best friend yeah or was her best friend at that time at least and you know she her performance is awesome like she's so electric and great and I think that's like this weird merging of you know a written character but 
honestly mm. just so many of their own traits that kind of come out in the performance. Yeah, I think Lena Dunham has a really good discernment for talent and I think she can see she has this intuitive nature with knowing what is going to work and like because I think that's the thing with if you're working with amateur actors it can obviously go either way but I think she obviously has the magic touch and the intuition to really know that certain people are going to sing on screen and they're going to have incredible screen presence and I think lots of people when this film came out and I think that it, that's its strength as well. Like lots of people think all of the dialogue's like improvised, but um, I don't think any of the dialogue was improvised. And it's just working with writing dialogue for amateur actors, which I guess is different than when you've got like a writer's room full of producers where you do get that more carbon copy cut out of certain like character tropes that doesn't feel, feels a bit empty. But I think... Yeah, I think this film's super inspiring, especially being a female interested in making movies. Um, you know, still relatable as ever. This is about a 22-year-old girl and I'm literally 32 and going, this is my life on screen. <laughs> like, can I relate more to a character than this one? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. So, And like, the dialogue is just incredible in this film. Like, it is so fresh and funny still. Like, I was laughing. There's this line, I think, in one of the first scenes where she's like, I think this has been my dreamiest summer yet. And then she's, her friend's like, are you kidding? You were miserable the entire summer. <laughs> you were hiding with me in the library, like, all summer. <laughs> and then another thing, I just relate to her so much, where she was talking to the Keith guy about the YouTube guy. She's like, yeah, we're dating. And you're like, you know, they're not dating at all. Like just <laughs> kind of exaggerating and lying. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I, I was really actually impressed by s scenes that were genuinely funny and genuinely sad at the same time. And really yeah. this like really which, feeling this, um, which scenes did, well, particularly, particularly, uh, the scene where she has the fight with her mum and then her sister kind of enters the room and she's and she's mm. like have you have you never had to have a job that's not photographing tiny furniture or something and then the mum's like no and I don't know it's it's the build up but I just I don't know I even I find Lena Dunham so funny but then I also get really moved by her when Green. things are shit for the character. And there's some scenes in Girls where I was just like totally ripped apart by her performance um, as well. Um, I don't know. I feel like she has such a range with that. And I don't know. I just feel like she commits. She actually really commits to the depth in the performance. Definitely. I think that's why she really stands out as a writer because I think while she's grappling with a lot of self-entitlement and self-absorption and narcissism, I think she always manages to see the person within that. And we we don't have much... Like, we're not very objective with how we come across. Like, most people are fairly self-absorbed, especially living in metropolitan cities. But there's a human there. There's, like, pain 
behind that because everyone's trying to make their way in the world and everyone's trying to just feel relevant and often you know there is I think especially in bigger cities there's a big sense of existentialism and I think she really touches on that really well like and she's she always has that tenderness within her self-absorbed like vapid characters which I really appreciate I think she yeah she really gets that really nicely and it doesn't feel forced it feels very um authentic to her as a writer and I think she's an incredible writer yeah I will, I, like for me I guess like the films and Lena Dunham works better as the, the comedy elements always work better for me and just her writing style isn't super sincere and the movie never tips into like a overly sincere territory and I don't maybe get the emotional pull as much mm. I find that even when I watched Girls that the first season I enjoyed a lot because it maybe had a, a more of a comedic tone which I think and in this film it was just as you said entertaining the whole way through and very funny but maybe I find it difficult to fully connect or get any deep meaning from her character because she she's definitely not shallow like her characters are well fleshed out and there is like a maybe an underlying sadness or underlying you know morose lack of ambition or lack of knowing what to do which we can all relate to but I still find there's this comedic and snarky tone to it all that keeps it quite funny and entertaining mm. like when she's having the argument she's like pushing off this all the papers on the desk and the, the sister's just laughing at her like in this kind of pathetic attempt to have a dramatic you know, dramatic, oh, you don't understand me moment. Um, which so it, can, it can still touch but home it's because that, it's more mm, realistic. But it's yeah. that happy, sad, I think. Yeah. Or not happy, sad, funny, sad. Funny, funny sad. sad. The tragic yeah. sadness. And that's my favourite type of writing, my favourite type of comedy where you could either laugh or cry. Yeah, yeah, true. That's yeah. definitely my favourite type of writing. Um Yes. And, like, even the, yeah, I love the reaction of the sister. That was so genuine, like, her just kind of, like, cracking up. Yeah. And the mum being like, don't stop it. Don't, like, <laughs> don't make it worse than it is. Yeah, it just feels very... Yeah, I thought the, um, the relationship of two sisters was done really well. The kind of... The... The kind of competitiveness almost that they had between like competitiveness and jealousy and obviously the two girls have quite different temperaments as well and I thought she had written that really well and I love the scene where with Charlotte she rocks up to like the teenage party like pantsless and yeah I just thought that dynamic was written really well and felt very authentic definitely to sibling rivalry yeah, and yeah. I think I think what she does do like well is have her character show these experiences to be super serious to the character, but as the audience you're watching it, it seems ridiculous. Like she's getting so worked up about the party, which you can you can see this character doing, and it's important to this character. But as an audience member, you just see it's ridiculous, like her hitting her sister with the spoon and stuff. It doesn't like even hurt. You know, it's not like you're really on necessarily on board, although you can relate to her like struggle in the party. But it makes these kind of daily, uh, daily struggles, which we all seem to 
think it's so serious in the moment kind of seem ridiculous. Like, you know, uh, just like the struggle to, um, like how, how upset she gets at the fight or like the struggle to find a partner, which are big struggles in our lives. They all mm. kind of seem a played for, not played for comedy, but there is a, as you said, that funny, sad, you know. I really want to just talk about the, I think something that really were meant a lot to a lot of women and maybe alienated a lot of women as well through watching girls and perhaps tiny furniture as well, which is the, the kind of how she explores the insecure woman who goes for these problematic men. And I think maybe that's why I feel like there's a lot of, I, I really feel the, like maybe it's, you know, it's not fully explicit, but just that look on her face after she has these interactions with these men who, you know, she's like going towards them and it's all her own kind of desire or intention. But it's like, why are you going towards these men who are clearly dickheads or like clearly have some sort of disrespect for women that you can see, Mm. but she's still you know, wants to sleep with them or engage with them or whatever. And I think through through seeing this with her and Adam in Girls and also with the two men that she kind of, you know, is seeing in this film, I think I just really love seeing these moments where she... There's moments where she kind of all of a sudden realises and she doesn't want to engage with it anymore. And I think that's, for me, like kind of the catharsis and the growth of these characters, like... Yeah, like, the moment when she quits her job as a hostess. Like, it's very, like... It's not, like, this big grand moment. She's just quitting this shitty job as a hostess. But she's, like, realising that this chef guy is a total loser or... You know, like, she's there's, mm. she's reclaiming some sort of self-respect, even though it's hard to kind of see. And I think in Girls, you kind of see that journey more. Like, when she decides to no longer um, sleep or see Adam anymore. Um wasn't wasn't the scene where she quits before she has sex with him in a dream? Yeah. <laughs> but it's a sex with him afterwards. But it's a journey. Yeah. Yeah. Don't you think? I I um I think that's why I like Lena Dunham so much because I relate to it a lot and I think she explores it really well because I think Yeah, I think she's obviously a woman that has low self-esteem and needs the validation of male attention and maybe um she's also an ambitious creative woman that is maybe attracted to some spiciness um but I think she explored like the sex and the pipe and then I can't remember what he said but he kept on like saying something and she's like you said that five times and kind of like realizing that like, he is a dick, but then she's like, see you soon. And he's like, yeah, see you later. Like, I think she also really wrote very well the emptiness of a one-night stand, how it can feel fun and spicy in the moment, but then, you know, it is see you never, like, afterwards, and that you've had this sexual experience that was fairly empty and meaningless. And I think then when she's laying in bed with her mum and kind of reconnecting in 
that way. Um, Yeah, I think that's just very, very, like she, yeah, and I think lots of women can relate to it. Like I know I certainly do and, and, and I'm glad that she explores those themes because I think it's important for women to see that on screen, but, um, but at the same token, you know, she is this complicated, like ambitious, creatively talented woman at the same time as dating these dickheads. But my favorite part of the film is really the friendship between Jemima Kirk and Lena Dunham. Like I think their chemistry is incredible and Jemima Kirk is just so fucking hilarious. Like, so, like, I laugh the most at all of her lines. And I just think their female friendship, as you said, makes is electric. And what I love, the scene where she's getting ready for the date. And I'm thinking, this is more fun than the actual date. Like, getting together with your girlfriends and deciding what you're going to wear and then calling your girlfriends afterwards and telling them everything that's happened is more sacred and special than all these fucking jerks put together. And I think she really gets that and it gets me excited because Jemima is like Charlotte, the character is this, like she sees her for who she is and she can see that she's an incredibly talented goddess. And she's like so supportive of her. She's like, your work should be in art galleries. And like, and I just love that. That really energized me because it's like, fuck those guys they're like fucking in it together and they're having a great time. And for me, that's what life is about. <laughs> Definitely. But what's good about the, or what's interesting about their friendship is it's not necessarily a healthy one either, but true. Like Charlotte hadn't <laughs> seen her for a long time, but she maybe is overly invested in Hannah in a way that or like gets Hannah to do these things that maybe aren't always the best for her and an impulsiveness that maybe gets her to abandon some other healthy relationships with her kind of friend from oh, yeah. friend from college. But boring friend. Yeah. <laughs> I like Frankie. Yeah, I like Saying, Frankie too. I know, but, you know, like I just also love like Jemima Kirk's reaction when she sees Frankie in the art gallery. She's like, just has these, like, stink, giving her the stink eye. Well, she's kind of a friend who's maybe because of her economic situation, her social situation, how attractive she is. She almost seems above a lot of a lot of these things that Aura's character seems to struggle with so much. And she's just attracted to this person who can just fl- flick guys away, who has a, who's able to control, you know, these teenage boys. <laughs> that scene <laughs> is so funny. Oh my god, it's hilarious. Yeah. Oh. She is just... Oh, the lines that she had on my resume, I wrote, has a landline. <laughs> yeah, so good. Uh, oh, yeah. Jemima Kirk's amazing in this. I think I, I actually much prefer her in this than girls. But, you know, she's awesome in girls, too. But, yeah. Yeah. I love also seeing both of their bodies on screen a lot. And I have a big appreciation for it because, unfortunately, it's still, like, refreshing to not see, like, a picture perfect body on screen and I just think it's nice to see curves and to see it celebrated and um I'm a big appreciator of that as well Mm. yeah definitely um yeah um 
What are some, do you guys have some favorite moments or favorite lines? This is one, sorry, this is one moment that I love that she's talking about that she's just broken up with her boyfriend. She's at the party. And then like the girl just literally walks away from her. Like while she's saying, like, I think she gets the specificity of um, how vapid New York is really well too. And how she's been in Ohio and uh, like how everyone's just so narcissistic yeah, yeah, yeah that seems so funny. Which I think is also her friendship with Jemima Kirk's character that although Ohio has maybe, it seems like a friendlier, more wholesome, like the cooking and the, and the you know, her friend used to cook and bake and they used to do bake-off nights, that it was kind of maybe good for her character. She kind of is drawn to this New York that's just kind of is a shithole in lots of ways and is a bit more cynical and maybe it is, as you said, a bit boring, the Ohio. <laughs> maybe she wants to have sex in a drain or like... Yeah, why not? Sounds hot. There's something that's... Or maybe just part of where she's come from. <clears throat> like, she's just grown up here. And even though Ohio is like a, a nice place, it seems there's an element where she felt it wasn't her people. And she's come back and found, I don't know, her people. Or, or you know, in some ways she relates to this cynical culture. Like, she doesn't really pine to be back in Ohio. <laughs> well, she kind of mm. abandons it quickly, and maybe she was forcing herself at some point to feel like... I mean, there's just one scene where she's like, yeah, we did these baking nights, and we watched these films and all, and then she's like, I didn't really understand it. <laughs> like, you know, she didn't really get it. And Jemima Kirk's just kind of, like, bagging her for it. So, yeah. Yeah, I think... Um, I think people should definitely revisit Tiny Furniture. It... It's also interesting as well because I feel like Aura, Lena Dunham's character in Tiny Furniture, is actually quite different to Hannah in Girls. And I didn't... I thought they were kind of the same character. Like, I just kind of merged them in my memory. But I really like how Aura... Aura's, like, a little more sensitive, I feel. And Hannah, obviously, is very in-your-face. So it's... I don't know. It's nice to see this more sensitive, kind of younger-feeling... Lena Dunham in this too and it's incredibly relatable I mean definitely for us because we actually are film school graduates and I live with my parents so (laughs) 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 um yeah yeah but yeah it's really it's a really I feel like um out of the I haven't seen too many mumblecore movies but I think this is one that really holds up and it's shot really beautifully too I feel in its canon 7d you know, $65,000 budget movie. It still looks Didn't really nice. Yeah. yeah. And, and I guess with Mumblecore, it is about the interact- realistic interactions between people shot on kind of a low budget. I don't know much about the genre or whatever. But what I liked about this, and maybe is why she got picked up by Judd Apatow and stuff, is that it, it feels written, but, but it doesn't ever feel underwritten like... I think she makes an effort, as you said, to have funny scenes, to set up scenes well. It doesn't feel like maybe an aimless exercise in improvisation where it's just realism for realism's sake. But it doesn't also feel like overwritten in a way that these characters wouldn't speak like that. But she kind of includes choice quotes or choice things to make it funny or make it um, stand out. So in that way, it was kind of entertaining in a way that maybe these genres cannot be. Like, they can just be... 
oh, what did you have for breakfast? Mm. We pigs. <laughs> you know, like, like, too relatable. Yeah, <laughs> and, like, who gives a shit? Yeah. yeah. I think because she has a point of view. Like, I think she's a director. Like, yeah. she actually has a cinematic point of view that is quite distinct. And mm. that's why she stands out from all of those other mumblecore directors is because she's an incredible filmmaker and has a point of view of her own that I think no one else kind of especially around that time didn't have like you know she just really stood out in so many ways yeah and I think she's I think she's awesome yeah, yeah I really appreciate her um kind of anti-mystery I feel like I just almost mm. know everything about Lena Dunham and I love that like through her podcast, The C Word, which is on Luminary, and it's about um, kind of looking at women in history who have been deemed crazy in the media and kind of creating, like, a more humanist narrative and really investigating that. And it's it's just my favourite podcast ever. But she includes... In that podcast, she talks a lot about... Um, her experience being famous and having chronic illness and mental illness and, you know, her weight and stuff. And, um, yeah, like, and just through her, you know, her social media presence, her memoir, like, she's just written so much and shared so much. And I really appreciate that because I think there's not that many famous people who kind of, like, there's a huge mystery kind of with a lot of famous people, a lot of actresses. And I just appreciate her oversharing. Like, yeah. And it's definitely gotten her into trouble, which, you know, yeah. that's a thing. <laughs> but for the most part, it just, I feel like she's meant a lot to a lot of people. But, but I guess, again, that almost became its own trope, which is difficult to distinct, like, extract her from that oversharing itself as, like, I guess, like, as a female, is was almost revolutionary. Like, you know, shooting yourself, being kind of fat in your underwear... You didn't get to see that elsewhere, but then because of the internet, it exploded to such a degree that uh, that almost became a um, stereotype in itself. Like taking mm. a selfie, like body positivity, in a way that Lena Dunham came to exemplify this movement, which I don't think is always fair. Just to put and and she came to instead of being judged by her work, she just came to be judged by oh that you know. That, fat girl who takes selfies, <laughs> you know, like, this kind of self-absorbed, you know, rich white girl um, trope, yeah. which is kind of proliferated on the internet. And I don't, I don't think that's really fair, because you should just mostly be judged by whether the, the films themselves are good or not, or whether, as opposed to whether they started something that maybe became annoying. <laughs> mm. And I think people just often have a very simplified black and white look at someone like Lena Dunham yeah. or just people in general where they don't see what's maybe behind oversharing or what's behind self-deprecation yeah. or um, that there's a lot more than just meets the eye. But I'm still quite stunned by when I mention Lena Dunham to guys, people look repulsed. And I just think it still reflects that an ambitious, chubby woman is dangerous. Mm. People are uncomfortable with it. Yeah. And I'm just, I think it's fascinating and it still shows you sociologically where we are in our culture. 
that we think we're very like open and but that um that we do still want to see women in a certain way we don't want women to be difficult we don't want women to overshare we don't want women to like show their uh, cellulite on their bodies you know we want women to be neat little packages and understandable and not to anything so mm. that's why i really really appreciate her because she's as i said at the start like she is like in direct conflict with the cool girl trope which is a trope i really passionately hate so yeah 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 i think that's a really good point yeah. why people get so and also i guess i just have to admit that she does annoy me a lot of the time as well and i think it's e and it's purposeful a lot of the time for probably bad reasons that people just dilute someone to this kind of essence of being just annoying and it's easy to do with lena dunham because there's so much stuff she does that is annoying but you kind of miss out on all these, even like all these good, uh, you know, shows and, and movies she has done by doing that. Like, mm. and that happens a lot now. Instead of seeing people, as you said, in multitudes, they just become that annoying person. Yeah. Uh, and they just, you know, it's almost like a, like a Skinner box of association where it's like Lena Dunham annoying white girl you know yeah. <laughs> it happens with a lot of people you know it's like this person oh that's just that annoying you know yeah. and I think it's unfair I think it's generally reflective of the culture today yeah. which yeah. is like people don't want to use their limited brain cells to understand why people act and behave in a certain way they just yeah. box them in and go oh this that they're like this they're like that but obviously people are more nuanced Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Isabel, can you explain the cool girl trope and why you hate it so much and why you think that why you think that Lena Dunham is the opposite? <clears throat> Putting me on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> um the cool girl trope is one that guys love because, you know, they'll drink a beer with you they'll eat a juicy burger and they'll still be a size zero they'll laugh at your jokes you know they're just one of the boys you know they'll wear the sexy bikini and I just think it uh, they're agreeable um and they're sexy they're everything they're sexy but they're um you know they're in charge of their sexuality but, you know, they're also, like, independent, but they'll be there for you. Basically, just a blow-up doll for men, you know. Basically, just their wet dream. And for me, as a female and who watches movies for women, I just think nothing's more reductive than the cool girl trope because it completely robs a female of any inner life and of any... her own agency and her own complexity and that women have a whole universe inside of them that is complex so i think the cool girl trope is is kind of like the male gaze i guess yeah yeah uh, similar to the male gaze and this like trope i guess is in you know most forms of popular media like but mm. it seems particularly nefarious or like underhanded in indie films it's like one part of independent cinema that even though they try to have more well-rounded characters, there still is this element of, like, 
there's this hot girl that reads Kafka <laughs> and I'm going to and the, and the yeah. worst kind of films indulge it in a way like I watched Noah Baumbach's Kicking and Screaming and it was just a bit I mean the film's not that great but it also did indulge in this kind of idea that there's a blonde that girl that's a, that's a good example yeah. Of it. yeah and it's just like they kind of become simplistic and they're not allowed to express any like fucked up urges that don't kind of conform to what the male character wants. Yeah, it's like, they like the same films. Ooh. And they, you know. Whereas yeah. Lena Dunham's characters are often completely self-indulgent and difficult to be around in the way that real people are. Like, as opposed to the indie girl who's like, maybe a bit aloof, but only in the right way. And it's like, all the Zoe Deschanel in 500 Days of Summer, which is particularly annoying. She, yeah. She's but whimsical I, in the right, right way. I do you think that was supposed to be written that way? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But, but, yeah. It doesn't make it, yeah. It's, no, I know. It, it's self-aware, I guess. Sometimes I don't think self-awareness makes it, it makes it almost more annoying. I know, because <laughs> also often people don't pick up on that. So. Yeah, well, I I'm stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah, I yeah. Oh my god, I I yeah, I love Lena Dunham so much, and mm. um, I just yeah, I also for me also personally like this is you know dorky, but she kind of is my career hero, <laughs> like yeah. my career like I don't know like she writes, she directs, she produces, she writes memoir, she produces this podcast like. I'm so inspired by her. Also by her in the sense that I really do feel that she is a pioneer and has created a whole kind of body of work that's employed all these other artists as well. And like she's kind of got this amazing force and I know so many people love her, but I also sometimes, you know, I'm like, she gets so much shit and I really respect her courage to just actually just fucking be Lena Dunham. <laughs> yeah, and she's so ambitious, but she does it in this, I find actually in not an annoying way because she's very ambitious, but she's not like uppity about like her success. Like she's still self-deprecating and relatable and funny. And that's what I appreciate about her as well. Um, yeah, she's the best. Star rating? Is it four stars? I'm going to get four and a half. I'm giving it five. <laughs> I just, I don't know. I can't really fault it, especially for what. I just think it does what it's doing so well, you know? And it is hard with maybe this type of film that they're purposefully never maybe amazing. Like, they never attempt. They operate within their bounds a lot of the time in a way that doesn't, like... Well, they they're not trying to excel, I guess, so it's hard to say... You know, it's it's kind of perfectly doing what it does. You know? Yeah, it's like a small story. It's, like it's a small have a, story. It doesn't have a yeah. spectacle around it. Which is, yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no fancy okay. explosions. Yeah. Um, so, George, it's so, your choice for the next film, for yeah. the next podcast. What are we going to be watching this fortnight? Well, we kind of discussed doing My Octopus Teacher, but I feel like I'm going to do a different film. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the film I'm choosing, because My Octopus Teacher is a good film, but I feel like we'll all just maybe have a fuzzy, nice feeling about it. It might not lead to an interesting discussion, so I'm going to choose Gasparnelli's Climax. 
Out of nowhere, I'm excited. Yeah, George, that was a curveball. Yeah, I know. Well, I was, oh, just, I was thinking was, about that it. That was a climax of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> the thing we all like octop- octopuses and like, you know, it's not going to be like, oh, I like that. You actually mentioned my octopus teacher on yeah. the Exorcist episode. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, I like I like animals, and I think cool. that's a great choice. Yeah. Climax, and I. I'm pretty sure it's on SBS World Movies. Yeah. Mm. So everybody out Canopy there, Canopy, well. I will link that those in the show notes. Also, you guys can find us on Instagram at Film Club Podcast. Please DM us if you want to chat. Um, and yeah. Yeah, and any feedback, like positive or negative, send to our <laughs> send to us because we're. So I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I'm figuring it out. Yeah, totally. Of course, um, we love having guests. It was a great success having Gemma and Dave on for the Click episode. So if you would like to be our guest and hang out with us and chat about films, please contact us. And thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, guys. Ciao. Bye. I'm going to count. Closer time.